coming home. What's the matter? This is the matter. What is it? Is it a is it a bill? Is it a late notice? Are they repossessing the car? It's worse. It was sitting on my desk when I came back from lunch. It's from the HR department, and it's not payday. <laughs> what do you mean? Does this look pink to you? Are you getting fired? Well, what else could it be? It's not like the good news has been rolling in lately. Well, well maybe we should look on the bright side. Um, maybe it's a garnishment of wages. Maybe. One way to find out. It's a check. A check? It's a bon it's a bonus check from the Sanderson deal. Thank you for your hard work. You're a benefit to the company. Yada yada yada. Enclosed, you'll find your check for fifteen thousand dollars. Yada yada yada. Honey, do you know what this means? It means we have extra money. I can get a dress for the Christmas parties after all. And I can watch the bowl games in high definition TV. Do you, do you think we should use some of this on those? What? No. Those are bills. Honey, we, we pay bills with regular money. This is extra money, okay? Extra money? Yeah, extra money. You know, the money like you find in your coat pocket or your sofa cushions. That is a big sofa cushion. Oh, yeah, but still, it's the same difference. It's, it's money we weren't supposed to have. Money we weren't expecting. So we can't really be held responsible for not using it responsibly. Oh, so I get my dress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get to watch the bowl games in my plasma high definition television. Well, then I get a little bling bling for the dress. Oh, well, okay. Jewelry it is. Oh, that reminds me. What about Aunt Jewel? Oh. She lost everything in that storm. She's in an awful position now, and this money might be a sign. You know, you're right. I tell you what, why don't we set aside $5,000? Just in case it ever happens to us. You are so wise. <laughs> and you thought you weren't good with money. <laughs> Does it have to be 5000 Well, nah. We can just do 1000 Besides, when's the last time a disaster ever happened to us? <laughs> we'll check back in with the Joneses in just a few minutes. The way we handle money sometimes can really get us into trouble. It can cause us to make some pretty irrational decisions. Our perspective on money will determine whether or not we live a life that is in a place where God can bless us and does bless us, or if we're living a life outside of the life that God wants us to enjoy. Over the past few weeks, I've been going through a series of messages called In the Zone. And I've been talking about how that there's this zone that God wants us all to live in, a place where he wants us to live where he can bless us. There's a zone that God wants each of us to live in. And then there's a place 
that many people end up living outside the zone, outside of the spot where God can bless them, and that's called the land of Ing. People live in the land of Ing are people who are all about owning and earning and buying and spending and bling bling and all that stuff. So the land of Ing is where we don't want to be because when we're in the zone, there's the great blesser, that's God, and we're the blessed when we're in the zone. And then God wants us to become a blessing to others. And starting a couple of weeks ago, I talked about one of the quickest ways, if you're living your life in the land of ing outside the zone, one of the fastest ways to get in the zone is to bring the tithe. To bring the tithe, to bring back the first fruits to God of what he's blessed you with. The tithe, 10% of your income. Many people since last the last two weeks have sent me an email or called or sent a card and said, thank you for sharing that verse in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. And God goes on to say, test me in this, test me and see if I don't pour out so much blessing upon you, you won't have room enough for it. So the motivation for bringing the tithe back to God is to, to give back to him for what he's given to you. It's not so the church can have more money. It's not so we can get more money that way. It's so you can give back to God, bring him a portion of what he's blessed you with. And several people have called, emailed cards and said, we're going to test God. I'm going to give God a test. And I can't wait to hear the stories that you tell me as you test God, just like he asked, and you begin to bring the tithe. There's also a danger. People who live in the zone, all of a sudden, There can be a danger, which I talked about last week, the danger zone. In the zone is where we understand that we're managers, not owners. That we're managers of what God has blessed us with. Some people have been blessed with a whole lot. Some people have been blessed with a little. But God says, be careful. When you're in the zone, when you're enjoying all the blessings I've given you, be careful and don't start to think that you've got it because you're you because you're good enough, because you tried hard enough. No, God says, it is I who gave you the ability to produce wealth. So if God's blessed you with a bunch, if you worked hard and made a bunch, that's great. But don't forget where it comes from. As much as God wants us to live in the zone, in the spot where he can bless us, in the place where we can be a blessing to other people, there's another force out there that wants to pull us into the land of Ing every time he gets the opportunity. That's Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness, Beelzebub, all those names you've heard, it's him. He wants to pull us out of the zone into the land of Ing. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when we're living our lives in the zone, he's calling on us, pulling on us to get out. And not only is he doing that, he provides some ways for people to get out of the zone and get out fast. A couple different highways out of the zone that Satan provides. The first highway, talked about the second one last week, the first highway is the highway of materialism. The highway of materialism. A lot of people think materialism means that you have a bunch of stuff. 
that you've spent all your money on toys and electronics and houses and cars and trips and boats. And some people think that's materialism. That is not materialism. Materialism begins where your income ends. Materialism begins where your income ends. You can be materialistic and make $30,000 a year, and you can be materialistic and make $300,000 a year. Some of the most materialistic people I know are people that are in the lower end of the income bracket. And yet some of the least materialistic people I know are the ones that have been blessed, are the ones that are living their lives in the zone. And they enjoy a lot of cool stuff, but they're not materialistic. You might have a lot or you might have a little. It's not what you possess that makes you materialistic. It's what possesses you. It's not what you possess, not what you have. It's what has a hold of you. Materialism is not based tangibly on what you have. It's a condition of the heart. It's a preoccupation with things, with the desire to acquire, with purchasing, with desiring things that God says, if you long after those things, if you desire those things, you're going to end up on the highway of materialism going outside the zone. And before you know it, you're going to be living in the land of Ing. So I'm not talking, talking about you owning things. I'm talking about things owning you. Throughout this series, I've talked a lot about money. If you're here for the first time today, you might think, oh, great, church, money, perfect. The Bible has a lot to say about money. God cares how we earn it, save it, invest it, spend it, give it. He really cares because he knows the pull that money can have on us. So you're mistaken if you think church is no place to talk about money. Money is a spiritual issue. I've talked about doubt and depression and faith and all those things are spiritual issues, but money is just as much a spiritual issue as those things are. Left unchecked, money can become your master. Left unchecked, you can start to find your significance and your security and your identity in money. And over and over throughout Jesus' teaching, over and over throughout the Bible, it, it, it's so clear that God wants our security, our significance, and our identity to come from Him and nothing else. That's why you can read Jesus looking at people who had wealth, and, they say, and He says, get rid of it. Because, not because they had wealth, but He says, get rid of it, because that's where you're finding your security. That's where you're finding your significance and identity. And He's saying, I want your heart. And I don't want anything to be between you and me. And when you're on the highway of materialism, living beyond your means, starting with being materialistic where your income ends, that's the perfect time for the enemy to say, if I can just get this stuff between them and God, I can get them outside of the zone where they can be blessed by him. Here's something Jesus said about money. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying you can't have two bosses. You can't love me and chase after money. You can't do both. You've got to decide which one, because it's impossible to serve two masters. You're going to pick one over the other. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. It's fine. 
But that doesn't mean a person is materialistic because they spend money. Only when it starts after your income ends are you getting into the danger zone and getting on the highway of materialism. Here's the deal with money. If we love it, it will lead us. But if we lead it, it will serve us. The Bible says it like this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. And if our enemy can get us to love it, to chase it, to long for it, then we'll jump on the highway of materialism and we'll be outside of the zone, living in the land of Ing before we ever know it. You know, the way people view money determines how they live their lives. Over the past couple of years, I have had to go to two funerals of family members. But before they died, I, I visited both of them on opposite sides of my family, visited both of them in the hospital. The first one was my uncle, who had planned well, who had made lots and lots and lots of money in his life, but was very sick. I go in the hospital to see him, and he just had his right foot amputated. And I said, how you doing, Ralph? And he said, I'm a foot shorter today. He really did. He was that kind of guy. He, that's the way he approached death. And I said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yeah, you, you could read from the book of Psalms for me. So I opened up the Bible and I read for my uncle. And he, I wasn't there when he died, but he died not a long time after that. And he had lots and lots of money. But it didn't rule his life. Hospital bed number two was my aunt who had lots and lots and lots of money. Millions of dollars. And she lay in a hospital bed dying. And I said the same thing to her. Is there anything I can do for you? And she said, can't I pay somebody and get somebody here and pay the right doctor? And can't they just, can't they just fix me? Do they just want my, that's all they want is my money. There's people at home taking my money, and on her deathbed, literally, she was worried that somebody was going to take her money that was doing her no good where she was. Two people at death's door who saw money very differently. One person knew he was a manager of God's money and blessed other people in his life because of it. The other person thought they owned it, they deserved it, that it was theirs, and they held on to it as tight as they could until the moment they died. How do you view money? You know, people with a lot of money do have an advantage over those of us who don't have a lot of money. They know that it doesn't bring happiness. They know that it doesn't bring contentment. They know that chasing after things doesn't fill you up the way so often people get on the road of materialism thinking they're going to get filled up with things. Along the highway of materialism, we get hit with some debris. The first debris that gets thrown at us as we're driving out of the zone into the land of Ing is the debris of envy. Envy. Why can't I have what he has? Why can't I have what she has? Why can't I have the kind of friends, the kind of house? I'm a good guy. Why can't I get what they've got? Why can't I have that kind of car, that kind of schedule? 
James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find discord and every kind of evil. Envy is toxic. Envy will mess you up. If I try to live my life measuring my worth against somebody else, there's always going to be somebody better off that can do, do better at what they do than I do at what I do. So there's always going to be somebody better. And there's always going to be somebody that you think is not as good as you are, as not as good at what they do as what you do. So no matter how you approach it, you're messed up. No matter how you approach it, you're not going to be living in the zone when you think that you should have what somebody else has, or you're better because you got something they don't have. Comparison kills contentment. When I compare my life to someone else's life, it can very quickly kill contentment. Which brings me to my next bit of debris, and that's pride. Pride says, I'm not going to let it go. It's mine. I've earned it. I deserve it. And how dare you even bring up that I could be more generous with what I have. No way. It's mine. I'm not letting it go. If you wanted to trap a monkey, you could get a box. You could put a hole in the top of that box, just big enough for the monkey's hand to go down in. And if there was a banana in that box, he would grab onto it and he would try to pull it out and it wouldn't go because the hole's not big enough. And the monkey will not let go of the banana. What in your life are you holding on to that you don't want to let go of? What are you holding on to that no matter what's going on in your life, you're thinking, I'm not going to let go of this. What's got a, a grip on you so tight that you won't let go of it? What material thing is in your life that you won't let go of? And whatever that is, it owns you. Anything you have materially that you wouldn't give away or get rid of or, or get over, then that thing owns you. Luke 12 verse 34 says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pride forgets that all we have belongs to God. Pride forgets that God says, it is I who give you the ability to produce wealth. On the highway of materialism, you get hit with pride and you forget that your stuff is not your stuff at all. It's God's stuff. And He's the one that gave you the ability to make it. You're not better because you have more ambition or more drive or more ability than somebody else. Maybe you're blessed, but you're not better. And pride takes you places that you don't want to go. Another piece of debris people get hit with is guilt. Guilt can pull you out of the zone too. Feeling guilty for all the blessings that you might have. Feeling guilty for all the stuff God's blessed you with. Hey, if, if, if you got it and you can do it and you got the right perspective and you're in the zone and you're tithing and you're being generous and you're bringing God the first fruits, then have fun. Enjoy your stuff and don't feel guilty because you've got more than somebody else has got. The same time the evil one builds highways out of the zone, God builds bridges back. God always provides a way for us when we're going down the wrong road to turn around and bridge the gap back to the place where he wants us to be. The first one I want to talk about is admiration. Being able to admire something without having the desire to acquire it. And God wants you to learn how to admire 
without the need to acquire. One of my good friends has a Corvette, and I like Corvettes. It's really cool. It's like brand new. So I go have lunch with him one day. He takes me for a ride in his Corvette. Smell. Oh, man, you know. DVD, nav system, all that stuff. 100 miles an hour in the city limits of Cary. Can you believe it? I mean, they go 100 miles an hour like that. I loved it. It was fun. And our lunch dates are probably going to pick up a lot. So I go for a ride in the Corvette. But I rode in it. I enjoyed it. I was like, man, you are blessed. That is great. But I didn't go by the Chevy dealership on the way home to think, how can I arrange getting the money to buy one of these? How can I go ahead and get one and maybe pay for it later? That didn't happen. And God wants us all to have the ability to admire without the desire to acquire. When I'm not content with my content, with what God has given me, I pull this out, the plastic people eater, the plastic piranha, the piece of plastic that destroys relationships and marriages and lives. When I'm not content with what I have, then I start pulling this thing out, swiping and swiping and swiping. And before you know it, I'm beyond my income on credit and I'm running down the road of materialism into a place where God can't bless me because I have this burning desire to acquire. Be able to admire something without the need to acquire it. Another bridge that God builds is the opportunity for us to live with an attitude of gratitude, thankfulness for what we have. If you begin to just think about what you have and what God's blessed you with, then it will get you off this road of materialism quickly and back into the zone where he wants you to live. Another bridge that God builds is the bridge of generosity. Generosity is not the same as tithing. Tithing is bringing back to God a portion of your income. Then, in addition to tithing, there's giving. There's being generous with your money, your stuff, with your life. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 says, Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm and such love for us. Now I want you to excel in the gracious ministry of giving. Give just to give. What do you have in your life you think, I need to give that away? Something to really give away. Try it. I'm not talking about money, your tithe in the offering bucket as it goes by. I'm talking about something that you give away, whatever that is. Try it this week. Think about what do I have I could give away? Do it. And you'll be amazed at the blessings you get just from doing that. I was talking with a friend a couple of weeks ago who had a check taped in the back of his Bible. And that check is written out for $1 million, written out to the kingdom of God. And he said, one day, I'm going to be there to where I can give this check to God. But he's planning to be generous, to excel in this ministry of giving. When it comes to giving... Not tithing, but giving. People are either like Velcro or they're like Teflon. You know, you put two pieces of Velcro together, you try to pull them apart. It just takes a little time and a little bit of effort. And when we're like Velcro, when it comes to our giving, it's like, no, I'm not going to let go of it. It's mine. I earned it. It's mine. And it's painful. 
But then there's the people who view their finances and the things God has given them in their life like Teflon. It just bounces off, it doesn't stick, and it doesn't stay. And you can either view your finances one of those two ways. Hang on to it at all costs and don't let go or use that in a way to bless other people. Materialism begins where your income ends. It's a condition of the heart. It's not something that's tangible that we can observe from the outside. Materialism is a condition of the heart. 